today on this new moon episode of the Dreamer's Den podcast. Yes, and what's so beautiful is among the many things I'm grateful for about my work with hospice is these are the dreams that they don't just come at our end of life. They come to us every night. It's like this wide open secret every night hidden right out in the open are these invitations into relationship and conversation and healing with so many of the people that I work with in hospice at end of life. They haven't explored their dreams. They haven't had these conversations. That's Mary Jo Hyen, a dream worker who practices natural dream work and recently has spent a lot of time with people at the end of their lives in hospice care, visiting with them about their dreams and visions. When I play this conversation for you, I invite you to absorb the way she talks and listen to the way she listens. I was really touched not only by the several stories she shares of dreams and visions of the dying and their family members, but also by her way of being her way of communicating. You'll also hear me in this conversation veer into some reflection about different approaches to dream work and the different experiences that can happen in one-on-one sessions as compared to group sessions. I really enjoyed hearing Mary Jo's love for the soulful work that happens for her when engaging with her own dreams with a one-on-one practitioner. And I would say that I too have had my most powerful single moments from dream work in one-on-one conversation with someone who could really companion me, as we call it in this conversation. And at the same time, what's shaped my relationship with my dreams overall, my understanding of the language of dreams, and this experience of soulful connection is absolutely my experience working dreams in groups. For me, this group projective dream work is as Jeremy Taylor described it, a profound psycho-spiritual practice. It's a practice of imagination and compassion and poetic, mythic thinking where we're truly in it together. The person who shares the dream will probably have aha moments and get the goosebumps or the tears and find their way into more rootedness in their truest self. And everyone else present can have ahas and goosebumps and tears and be more rooted into their true selves and come to understand someone else whom they might not have felt that they had anything in common with before so much more deeply too when we do this. If you are drawn to do some group dream work, I'm excited to announce before we get into this episode with Mary Jo that doors to the Dreamers Den membership community are open as of today the new moon, March 13th, and they'll be open until the full moon on March 28th. Members are invited to a live group dream work call every month. We keep an online forum going for dream sharing and community reflection any day you like. And you'll also get a bonus podcast episode every month, usually a deeper dive on one particular topic that you can apply directly to your relationship with your dreams. And an invitation or a prompt for exploring your dreams more deeply in some way. Members get 50% off tickets to all live events and a members-only price for one-on-one dream work with me. And I want to say that you, whoever you are, your whole self, are welcome in the Dreamer's Den. All genders, races, ages, backgrounds, spiritualities, nationalities, sexualities, and beyond. Diversity of all sorts is so highly valued here. 
We all have blind spots, and when we come together to get new insights and to grow, it's often the projections from people who live very different lives from our own that can hit us with a new perspective that changes us. There are no off-limits subjects in our conversations because dreams don't leave anything out. You'll never hear me say, please don't bring that up. It's too political. If it moves you, if it matters to you, and it's coming up in your dreams, it's 100% relevant. And at the same time, we're not having political dialogues. No dreamers' opinions or beliefs are up for debate. But as long as the dreamer wants to go there, everything is up for exploration, for deeper insights and growth and whatever inspiration might arise. I also want you to know that I am committed to keeping this a safe space for each of you, and I will protect this as a space where we gather only in the spirit of mutual support and deep respect. And all that being said, not all of the conversations are hard or heavy. A lot of them are really fun. So if this interests you, read all about it at thedreamersden.org. You are welcome to email me with any questions. I'm happy to hear from you. And now let's get into this conversation with Mary Jo. You're listening to the Dreamers Den podcast. I'm your host, Leilani Navar. I'm here along with guest dream workers, authors, and teachers to talk about diving deep into your dreams. We're skipping the small talk and going for conversations about what matters most to us, what's touching us so deeply that it shows up in our dreams, in one form or another. We talk about engaging with dreams to experience insight, inspiration, healing, and meaningful connection with one another. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can catch all these conversations. Visit thedreamersden.org slash open for a free video and mini book I put together to help you learn more about opening up or deepening your own relationship with your dreams. Today I'm visiting with Mary Jo Hyen, who is a certified practitioner of natural dream work a mentor for DreamWork practitioners in training, and an author. She recently published a new book, Dreaming into the Mystery, Explorations into Being with the Dreams and Visions of the Dying. Mary Jo is also a regional representative of the International Association for the Study of Dreams, the IASD, and she's published work in their magazine, Dreamtime, and in the Journal of Palliative Medicine. Mary Jo has a diverse private practice working with dream clients of all ages and backgrounds, and she also volunteers in hospice care, working with the dreams and visions of those in hospice, their families, and grief groups, really honoring the gift of dreams at this threshold. So I'm looking forward to hearing about some of those experiences today. Welcome, Mary Jo. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Leilani, for having me here today and for the work that you do that helps keep dreams in the conversation and help us all be aware of how important they are. So, so thank you. Mm, thank you. Yeah, I'm grateful myself to be in community with people who care about dreams. I'd love to, to ask you how you first realized that dreams mattered to you, when that was and how that happened. I would imagine that um, I have two things I'll share here, Leilani, and I would imagine that for those of us that love our dreams and um, pay attention to them, 
it's been a lifelong awareness for many of us. And so um, one thing I'll share that's very tender is um, growing up, my dad had been a prisoner of war during World War II and spent three and a half years in prison camp. And so as children, every few days, he would wake up um, in terror. And we didn't really know back then much about PTSD. And uh, then he would wake up and, and kind of downplay it because we would be scared. But it made me very aware. And he would say he was dreaming of this or that um, back in being in prison camp. And so it made me aware from a very early age that um, dreams are important and have an effect on us. And this was a very powerful effect to see. Um, and, and scary for a child to see your father frightened. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And actually, I don't know if you know the film Unbroken or the book by Laura Hillebrand, and it's about um, prisoner of war camps in Japan. And that was the camp my dad was in. Oh. And um, so very poignant uh, part of what made him who he was. The other thing I would share is my first remembered dream. And I wanna share two parts here. The dream itself was very simple. I remember, um, I think I was about four, and I was standing at the top of our stairs in the house and I could just kind of pivot my body. Now I know it was like the solar plexus and float down the stairs. And it was mm. wonderful and it was fun. And then I climb back up and do it again. I don't know why I didn't fly back up, but <laughs> I didn't think of that. Um, <clears throat> I did that several times and it was great. Well, the next morning, Leilani, I got up and I tried to do it and I, I couldn't. And it, and, you know, at four, we're kind of inarticulate. But even then I thought, wait a minute, there's a way I know myself, something I'm connected to that I couldn't access. And it was very confusing for me. And I didn't know what the feeling was. And over 60 years later, I was driving to uh, work with a grief group and their dreams, especially of their loved ones who had passed. And this dream came up to me and I actually had to pull over because tears rose. What I felt back at age four was grief. Mm. Was grief that there was, a, like I said, there was a way I had known myself that I didn't anymore. And we see that a lot in our dreams in between words and a space that there's some, there's some grief, some loss, some tenderness. And so, actually, wow. I don't know That's if you know the film Unbroken. 60 years later, you know, at this time in your work, working with grief groups, that a whole new understanding of that dream came to you. It is, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it, um, and I'm grateful for it. I'm actually, and the, um, and this is how those of us that work with dreams want to keep evolving our understanding. And in that moment, when I realized it was grief, it helped me look at dreams with, a, with this added lens of maybe there's loss there, maybe there's sadness mm -hmm. that hides under some of the stronger reactions we might wanna have to not feel that. And would you say that the grief was only on waking? The grief was in relationship to the dream, not in the dream itself? What a, that's a great question. No, in the dream itself, um, and I think that's what can come through for 
all of our dreams in the dream itself. We, we would want to say that dreams, people think, you know, and that comes in hospice work, that dreams aren't uh, real or it's only a dream. The dream is its own reality. And in that dream, I was, I, I was loving that moment. Yeah. It, and it made sense to me. I didn't even quit in the dream. We don't question things. Sometimes I didn't question that I could just pivot my body. I'm doing it now. We don't have video. I pivot my body and just fly down those stairs yeah. and do it again. It made, it made perfect sense in the dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, this maybe will lead us into natural dream work, which is the, the approach to dream work that I know you work with. I'm struck by this sort of aha moment coming 60 plus years later about. Well, I'm 71. So it's it's okay. (laughs) Yes. So you're, you're the grief of, I mean, I, I feel that like that experience of Mm. being a little child who thinks something is possible. And then the loss of that, the kind of realization, oh, that wasn't so-called real, or that doesn't exist and the grief and the longing that might come up from that. And what's grabbing my attention about this story is that that grief, like the dream came and it was wonderful. And then it's in relationship to this dream that this this other aha moment comes. So I'm thinking about how that story might be not just the dream and the message of the dream, but the message of the whole thing of being in relationship with dreams. I think what you're, one, what you're saying is gorgeous as well as the way you're saying it. And I would say, yes, that our dreams, even what we might call the most mundane, um, want to help. And that's it's close to natural dream work, wants to help reconnect us to those parts of ourselves. Not that we lost, but we forgot. I would say it that way. And and I want to say with natural dream work, there's so many beautiful schools and teachings out there about dreams. In many ways, we all overlap. Mm-hmm. So it's not just that we have this, this approach. And it's, um, I do think it, there's a lot that's unique in it, but that there's so many wonderful ways. Just the desire to be with our uh, relationship, as you say, with our dreams. In this, I now call it, I'll bring in the word sacred. It's a sacred conversation with um, with the deepest parts of who we are, the truest, yeah. and I would say the truest parts of who we are. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do see that, there, that that's a sort of shared value, I think, in all the different approaches mm-hmm. to dream work. Would you say a little more? Would you be open to sharing more about what is unique about natural dream work or why it appeals to you? Well, I could say a couple things, and again, they may rhyme beautifully with other approaches, which is which is great. Um, and so, I always say that if I could only say one sentence about the way we work with dreams, it would be that our dreams want to help us understand how our inner self and our outer self are or aren't in alignment. And just by virtue of taking birth, whether we had the best of lives, which I hope there's folks out there that have, or we've had difficult lives, um, trauma-filled lives. I work with a lot of people that have had trauma in their life. But regardless, Leilani, I would say that just taking birth, we forget that connection. We don't remember who we are. So our dreams aren't bringing us really something new they're bringing us a remembering. Mm. 
there's a great word I learned from my own um, dream teacher, Roger Kamenetz, and it's anamnesis, which is an unforgetting. Hmm. And so every night we unforget for a little while who we are. And then I would say, if there's only one word I could use to describe dream work in this way, and you have already used it so wonderfully, is it's about relationship. Our dreams want to help bring us back into relationship with ourselves, with each other in the world, and then whatever we might define as the numinous for each of us. And so as we do that, we get to do this work on the inside, which is so wonderful. And then from that place, it naturally flows into our outer world relationships and the way we are in the world. Does that? Yeah, yeah, help? beautifully said, yes. So I'm wondering, I'm imagining people listening and I think most people who are listening have had some kind of powerful experience with their dreams and yep. many have an ongoing relationship. Mm. But I'm, I'm imagining people listening who have more of the dreams that don't immediately feel sacred or numinous, you know, and how, how even those mundane dreams can be doorways into this. And I wonder, I wonder if you have any example dreams potentially from your work in hospice or just whichever feels most um, helpful right now, but a dream story you might share and how kind of working with it in this way, it helped someone arrive at that kind of experience. I do. <laughs> okay. um, so, and let me say this first, because this will tie in with an, another way we work with the dreams in natural dream work. We could say that, um, and then I'm going to give you an example from, from hospice, okay. that we first, we can look at the dream horizontally, meaning the surface of the dream, what's going on in my outer world life and my, my waking life. And we can see that um, and how it fits. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and for some approaches that might be what they're comfortable with. Oh, this means this is what happened yesterday or when I was a kid. Um, but what we do in natural dream work is we take that moment, we honor it. It's important to know it's our experience and our history, but then we would, we take that and we turn it vertically to the depth. So not just, um, human level, but I would say soul level. Because I, my experience is our dreams want us to be embodied. They do not in any way diminish being human or suppress it. It's actually meant to be delicious and wonderful and juicy and all of that. And the dreams want to help us back to being ensouled. And that's the vertical depth. Mm. So underneath an outer world loss, if we turn it vertically, is also this, as I started with the dream at four years old, there's also that loss of some connection, some deeper loss. So it all weaves together beautifully. So um, I'll share, and I do change the names. I have permission to use these dreams, either from the person that did die or from their family members, but I do change the names and identifiers just out of respect. Okay. So I was visiting with, are you ready for me to share this, yes, this go, go example? Yes. So um, I was visiting with uh, Charles and he was in the last couple of weeks of his life and he had been raised in gang, generations of gang members in New York. 
So this was one tough man. Mm -hmm. And uh, but at end of life, there's these ways we want to start to soften these connections. It just comes naturally. So part of our um, hospice intake is that families are told that, that they do have, uh, as part of the team, a dream work practitioner, and that's me. And so this is this added layer of support for families. So Charles did ask to see me. So I went to see him and we visited a bit. And then he shared a dream. Um, where he was, well, let me back up a little bit. He, he was very candid about his upbringing and that his father was a very violent, physically violent man, would, would beat him, hit him, punch him, punch him, punch him. And uh, there was a lot of pain around that. Mm -hmm. And then he shared this dream where he was on a train which we love to hear trains in our dream because we're not the ones driving. Uh -huh. And the train took him to a library and he went into the library and the very kind librarian said, what you need is upstairs. So she took him upstairs and there was a boxing ring. And in the boxing ring, I think were three men and a punching bag. And Charles said, and they brought me into the ring. He said, and they showed me how to hold my hands and hit a punching bag. And I, we always slow this down when, when we're with dreamers and how was that? And he said, it was wonderful. And we deepened it and we hold these pauses so something can rise. And he, he started to cry. He said, these men were like fathers to me. Mm. He said, they knew how to be with a boy and teach him and teach him. And so I would say from the horizontal of the experience of Charles being the punching bag and being hit in this way, the vertical, the vertical depth of the true fathers, the men who knew how to be fathers to him. And it was a very healing dream for him. Wow. Hmm. That's a beautiful story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, imagining that, um, being able to feel into that, those figures in the dream that maybe he didn't have any kind of relationship like that in his waking life. Have yes, any kind of and what's so beautiful like is, um, and of among the many things I'm grateful for um, about my work with hospice, is these are the dreams that come, they don't wait, they don't just come at our end of life. They come to us every night. It's like this wide open secret. Every night hidden right out in the open are these invitations into relationship and conversation and healing. And um, with so many of the people that I work with in hospice at end of life, they haven't explored their dreams. They haven't had these conversations. So it's, it's really a beautiful um, medicine. Yeah. It's yeah. a, it, it, we, we call it a healing medicine and natural dream work. And here's at end of life, a different kind of medicine. I don't know if you could draw any generalities, but I'm wondering if at end of life, there tend to be themes coming up in That's this a, medicine, it, it, particular things healing. that are brought up because I, of course, this dream that you shared, I hear dreams along those lines as well from people of all ages near or far from the end of life, right? We can get this dream that brings something we've been missing or longing for or didn't know we had. And 
but I wonder, you know, besides people maybe being more open to their dream life and softening, as you said, are there certain things that you think tend to come up at that time? Um, this is a question I, I get asked a lot, and I think it's such a, an important one. Um, so I would say that even a few weeks, definitely a few months, but even a few weeks from the death, those dreams are very much um, what you or I might have tonight or your listeners, those, those dreams that we're all getting every night. And then, um, so I've been doing this for about five years. So I'll say, I always like to say what I know so far and I've learned so far um, yeah. because there's other, there's other things that I'll be learning. But what I've learned mm -hmm. so far is as the death approaches in the last few days, maybe week, the dreams do start to shift to um, more support coming, either in the form of deceased loved ones coming in their dreams, um, a kind figure that makes the dreamer feel supported and seen. And this is when, while visions can happen, I think anytime in our life, uh, visions seem to start becoming more prevalent in those, definitely in those last few days. And that's, that is, um, again, we, we want to be careful not to say that they're hallucinations or they're, and while they may be, there may be a medical, you know, from the meds, there may be an impact, but when these visions are giving comfort. But I wonder, desire, you know, well, besides people maybe being more open I don't, to their I dream don't, life. It's and not my place to you... question if that's real or not. Mm -hmm. It's very real for the dreamer. I could give you a really sweet one. I have, I have several. Yeah. So I'd love to hear. So I was visiting, um, I'll call her, I'll call her Donna. And um, she was just a really sweet older woman, but they could not control her pain. There was breakthrough uh, pain. The medications weren't working, which is, which is real, which you can imagine how much pain there must be that they can't yeah. control it. So I went to see her and um I had a couple visits with her before her death, but on the last visit, she was just, I mean, every other word was ouch, ouch, ouch. And, and she said mm. to me, she goes, the only thing that doesn't hurt are my boobs. So right there, even, mm. even breaking through in that moment was this sweet, sparkling personality. And so mm -hmm. we, we sat there and um, I'm also a longtime meditator. And so I have brought in to my work as a hospice volunteer to work with dreams and also um, meditation and sitting quietly and being with what is. So we sat there and she was rocking, ouch, ouch, ouch. And I said, look, I said, that almost sounds like a prayer. And so we both just sat for the longest time, ouch, ouch. And she, she's kind of settled down, was relaxing. And so I was getting ready to leave Leilani and I stood up and I said, I said, um, Donna, do you need anything before I go? And she said, no, I'll ask her. And she pointed to the empty chair next to me. Mm. So I sat right back down. Um, I wasn't leaving. And yeah. I, said, I said, oh, I said, tell me about her. And she looked at that empty chair and she said, she said, she's a little thing. And I said, um, what's she like? I said, is she familiar? She said, she said, yeah. She said, you don't have to be afraid of her. And I said, I'm not. I said, I think she is here to help you. I said, that's wonderful. And so um, 
I think there was somebody in that chair there for yeah. Donna. And yeah. oh, the comfort. And so we sat for a while and then she was able to lay down and rest. And she did die later that that evening. Yeah. But isn't that a, you know, if there were the, if, if I were coming in with an agenda or a, what, what this is or fix it or fluff it, then um, that's not what it's about. It's not for me to direct. It's for the I will say the dreamer, whether they're in hospice or there's someone I work with later this afternoon, what is this experience for them? And for her, it was so comforting. Yeah, that is a really beautiful story. And even that the arrival there seemed to come through this, turning the pain into a meditation or a prayer, a mantra almost like a chant, Mm. the ouch, Mm. you know, and, and then arrived this helper. Beautifully said. Thank you for reflecting it that way. So you said it's not, you're not there to soften or fluff anything. (laughs) And I'm wondering if that feels particularly true in hospice. I would imagine that the clients you talk to on a regular day, you know, you might talk to this afternoon, they might have things in their life that they want to fix or improve or new goals or they're in a healing process and they hope to actually get better. Right. But in a hospice situation, there's not that sort of future planning involved. They might have things in their life. And I would even, I'll back it up a little bit and say, even for those of us that still think we've got some time here, it's the dreams and the way we look at it. it, My dreams don't come to make an improved Mary Jo or a better version of Mary Jo. Mm. but they come for the, who, who is the true Mary Jo, the, mm-hmm. the ensouled Mary Jo. So it's that coming into alignment for those in hospice and their families. Um, you're right. We don't, th- there's not going to be a do over. We yeah. don't get to do a do over here. There's nothing that we can fix. And yet we are such a culture of, um, and, th- and this is why I'm grateful that my work was in the journal of palliative medicine. If medicine who was, trained to fix can say wait a minute there's a time for humility to that we're in the presence of something else so when families and the patient go in, into hospice i mean their worlds are turned 180 mm-hmm. places where we thought we had control we have no control it's not up to us anymore and so how do we be with this how do we be with another in this moment how do we not touch, to quote um, Stephen Levine, how do we not touch their pain with our fear? Mm. And that's a big part of what um, I wanted to include in Dreaming Into the Mystery is my own experiences, which are rich and meaningful for me and I hope for readers. But also, even if we don't work with our dreams, how can we start to see what's in our dreams? How can we start to be with another and not try to fix what can no longer be fixed. We don't know what's happening in at end of life, um, but something is happening. And can we just be, can we witness it and support it for the dreamer? Did I answer your question? <laughs> you did. And I, I love it. I, I'm sort of absorbing it. Like, is this a way to be in any moment of life with any dreamer as well? You know, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Because I, as a practitioner of 
Chinese medicine, you know, I spend my day helping people feel better and I love it. I love when they feel better you yeah. know? and they love it too. Uh, but there's, I'm just sort of absorbing that and reflecting on the urge to fix things and the ability to be with something that is not so-called fixable. That's right. And this yeah. is this place where we, cause we, um, and I read about it in the book, my first hospice visit, I had my notes and all the ways I was going to um, work with the dream and it didn't go that way at all. Uh-huh. And I realized in that moment that it's, this is not my agenda. I'm not here with an agenda. I have to go with, with the, whether it's um, quiet that's needed in that moment, whether it's listening, whether it's just putting my hand on an arm, which I would always ask permission first, because sometimes at end of life, it can be very painful to be touched. Mm-hmm. All these awarenesses of how do we um, companion someone at end of life. And as you're saying, Leilani, how do we companion those in our life that are here right now? Yeah. Whether it's whether it's our family members, our friends, our community, our, our dream clients. Um, and so that's what I hope the book helps with. And I actually um, was very grateful. So after I began working with hospice and doing the training about six months in, then I did an in-service for the um, hospice team, which was such a wonderful privilege of helping them, whether it's caregivers or nurses or, or the doctors or the social worker, the chaplain, what a wonderful team we have here is how can they be with um, the dreamer in this place, even if they're not trained to do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I could give you another example of that. Of that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this was a fellow and I'll call him Glenn. And so uh, he was on hospice and we were at a team meeting and one of the caregivers that goes in and helps the family and, and uh, does that kind of support pulled me aside afterwards and she said, uh, hey, I want to tell you that Glenn um, told me he was seeing angels. And I said, he did. I said, what did he say? And she said, oh, she said, I didn't ask. I, I just changed the subject. Uh-huh. So what I want to pause here and say, she wasn't doing anything wrong. We just don't know what to do in that moment. Yeah. We too are in the unknown. And that that's was part of the motivation to get this in writing for me is how do we be with another in a moment when they're saying something that's not in our experience. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'll come back to to Glenn in a moment. So one of the things that just a very simple thing I tell people is when you walk, you know, when you go in, um, because they say, how do we even approach this? Because people are dreaming, but they're afraid to share their dreams. So I say, just, you could say, how are you sleeping? And then when they tell you, are you dreaming? And then if they tell you a dream, you know, um, you can say, what was that like for you? And if it seems like more than needs to be looked at there, you can ask them if they want to talk to someone about it, to bring in the chaplain, to bring me in. Um, But back to Glenn, Mm -hmm. I went, so I went to see him and I had already been visiting with him maybe four or five times. So we had a a good relationship. So I sat on the side of the bed and I said, I hear you seeing angels. And he said, no, I'm not seeing angels. Well, in that moment, 
that was his response that he didn't feel he had been believed mm-hmm. that he wasn't going to because maybe his own sense of reality was kind of getting shaken so i didn't say anything and this is where meditation comes in so he said no i'm not seeing angels so i just sat there and we sat maybe a minute and a half and then he said to me i'm lucky to see angels and i said you are I, I said, what are they like? And he goes, well, he said, they, they, I said, do they say anything? He said, no, they just come in and they stand around. And he pointed around the room. And then I said, what are they like? And he said, they're like you, people who ask what angels look like. And, <laughs> and we sat there, Leilani, what, what needed to be said in that moment? We were in the moment, yeah. and 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 I will say for me, um, Glenn and I knew we weren't alone in that room. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it! <laughs> <That's> <laughs> just the that your silence, that your patient, quiet, brought him back to saying that, and even let him maybe hear himself. You know know that it was real what he was experiencing was real Mm -hmm. and that he was lucky to have that experience that's beautiful yes thank you and i I would say two things there one where do i learn this i learned this from my my own dream teacher as he works with me and i learn it um from the teachers in my own dreams Mm -hmm. they don't push they they wait they may just look at us they may just stand there and what um I've learned is that we, we are so fast moving, we just plow over everything, that these very fragile feelings that want to be felt, they need a little space to rise. Yeah. Their voice is still a little quiet. And so if we can be in that moment and, and honor the silence, we're giving the space for what wants to be felt to rise. I wonder if this is an kind of a distinction we could draw. I don't know, distinction sounds like a harsh word at this moment, but between different kind of ways of being with a dream. Before we started recording, I mentioned that people have had some questions about these different approaches to dream work, natural dream work, projective dream work, embodied imagination and things. And I'm thinking about the the space of quiet that you're talking about and when I'm working with someone who's come in to see me in person as a patient, and I might be doing craniosacral work with them or maybe feeling their pulse before we start a treatment and they're sharing a dream, I will leave room like that. And usually what they say after the pause surprises me, you know, it was nothing that I expected because it's what, um, what arose in them as compared with a dream group. I often work dreams in groups and with the projective dream work style, there's a lot of talking, you Mm -hmm. know, there's a lot of questions for the dreamer. And then there's the projections from the other members of the group, which are shared with deep respect and, you know, ownership of the, the fact that it's a projection and they're sort of offered to the dreamer. It is an offering really. And we get these, incredible aha moments and realizations and that depth of, of, uh, wow, I really just got to something I didn't imagine was there in both settings, but there's, 
there's just a real difference in feel between a setting where there's a lot of input and conversation and one where there's a lot of quiet and waiting and seeing what moves in the body or what moves in the mind spontaneously from the dreamer. I think you're, you're um, asking and stating a really important um, issue here. And I would say that the, there's this place where talking about is important, but oftentimes talking about can actually keep us from, and I'm feeling into this because this is how I work with dreamers, the talking about a dream or the moment is very different than feeling the dream. So as you say that you can kind of tell that difference. So in the slowing down, and I, I let people know this from before we even begin working with practitioner client, that I'm going to be slowing things down. I'm, we're going to pause. We're going to deepen it. And, and that's, that's a learning curve for a lot of people because we want to stay in our mind. But as we can drop and drop beneath the story of the mind, which, is, um, which may be valid, which may be true, but the dreams want to bring us to this different kind of connection. And it would, I would say the soul self, which is this feeling place. And our, as I said earlier, uh, if we haven't been in our feeling body and felt our feelings, um, it can take some time for them. So I think it's beautiful that you're, you do that with your clients to give the space. And actually, and I'll bring in that word sacred again, in that silence, there is a, a sacred connection with the inner and the outer, human and the soul, even the practitioner and the client that we're creating a sacred space for uh, something else to rise. Mm -hmm. That's even the Vesica Pisces, isn't it? The Mandorla, when we wait, mm -hmm. the third thing arises and emerges. Yes. Yes, the third thing that cannot be imagined from the mm. perspective of one, of the first or the second, <laughs> you have to sit there. Yeah. Yeah. You have to sit there with it all and let it arise. Yeah, so this this really deep and sacred work with the soul and the the individual being kind of merging with the the collective, which I feel like that threshold at end of life that's so present. And we don't have to spend too much time on this, but this is where my mind is going about these kind of styles of being with a dream and how the projective dream work or dream groups in general are a community experience. And mm. part of what's happening there is a practice of compassion and understanding one another and deepening that sort of connection. And I wouldn't say that these things are um, exclusive in any way. They, I think they can all happen at once and all do happen at once, but maybe that's a little piece of what's happening that's different in, you know, with all the talking and the sharing and the being in a group and letting the dream be shared and be experienced by many different human beings offers up this level of community connection, which, you know, may or may not be the same process as that deepening. I love your image of the horizontal and the vertical for the, the dreamer. Well, and, and let me add here that it, um, it can be a both and. Yeah. 
It can be the dreams in community and shared. And there's something in your dream that touches me mm -hmm. because we are all, you know, we are, are all together in this. We're all in this together. We're all um, shared experiences, as you say, the collective. So to be in community um, is a beautiful way to be in dreams and an authentic way. To be one-on-one -on -one in our dreams um, with a practitioner is, is another way. And it's, and it's um, I would say they're both sacred. I would say, and please feel free to disagree with me because I'll speak from my own experience. The one-on-one, the, -on -one, the me and my, my personal dream work is my teacher, is this place of my compassion in the world and what a raggedy world we're living in right now. My compassion in the world and the authenticity of that is really reflected by the compassion I've uncovered and begun to feel for my own wounds, my own traumas, my own experiences, because now it's, it's part of the fiber of who I am and that softened heart. And from that place, and that's what I, is what I appreciate that I can take into hospice from that place, then I'm with another and, mm -hmm. and soul sees soul. Mm -hmm. I'm not tending to, as I said earlier, fixing or fluffing. I, I'm not, I've learned and I'm grateful this to not touch their pain with my fear. Mm. I touch their pain with the place in me that knows pain. Mm -hmm. And then we're sisters and brothers and family in that place of being human. Did I say that clearly? You did. That was, I was, <laughs> just, I was just thinking how beautifully said. I'll have to quote that. <laughs> mm. I, can I ask you about that family piece? Do you, can you say anything about, um, you know, the, the family of the people in hospice and community members? Have you had dreams shared by my family members? Yes. Um, let me see which one. I'll, I'll do, um, I'll do, I'll do Tina's dream. So um, Tina is, was the wife of, of someone who was in hospice um, and, but really resistant to hospice coming in, which is a whole another experience for families to have this whole team come in as wonderful as they are their control of the world, as I said earlier, gets really topsy-turvy. Um, and so she was very resistant to hospice coming in, very independent woman, you know, take charge, in char charge. So, um, but she did have a dream. So the chaplain asked if I would come along while she visited with the patient, if I would visit with Tina. So we went for a walk. And she and I, and I would say the first half hour of Leilani, she was just, there was just this um, kinetic energy of resistance to hospice, resistance to that her husband was dying. It's all coming off. We would call it a, re a reacting to what was happening versus feeling what was happening. So I let her, I, I, I knew enough to let her, let her burn through that. She needed to express that. So then she shared a dream where um, there was a hurricane coming 
Um, and she had lived in parts of the world where there were hurricanes. She said, but we have plenty of time and this is all in the dream. And uh, I know I have time to get ready. And, but then all of a sudden I hear the hurricane, the disaster is coming faster than we thought. And she was surrounded by all these old boxes and uh, she doesn't know what's in them. And then the scene shifts and she's at a, a, a body of water, like a pond. She goes, but I know there's something in there. There's something in there like a shark or something. So she shared the dream. So then we went back in and the hurricane was coming. The disaster was coming faster than she thought. And her husband was dying much faster than they had thought he would. So we explored that. But then the moment for her was here. And we actually had arrived. Talk about synchronicity at a body of water hmm. in our walk. So I said, so um, tell me about this sh shark in the water. She, was, I, she said, I can't see it, but it's in there. And it's really, um, it, it's scary. And so I said, can you take a step towards the water where there's the shark? And she did, could. And I said, and, and again, we had the actual body of water. I said, could you put your toe in the water? And she jumped back and she said, no. And then this is so tender. Um, I think you can hear my voice. Mm. The tears came and she got it. She goes, oh, she said, I didn't know I was this afraid. Mm. I'm really afraid. And then it broke. And then she got to say how her life with her husband was coming to an end. They thought they had, he wasn't that old a, a fellow, or nor was she. They thought they had years left. Mm -hmm. And so how much fear there was. So we, back to the quiet, we stayed with that. She shared what she wanted. Uh, to share. And then she said this amazing thing. She goes, you know, I think I can do this now. I, I, I can work with hospice. Wow. Mm. These very, very tender places that are, and notice how they don't, um, these feelings don't push their way, do they? Right. They wait for us to be willing to. And I think there's, I always see this in dreams where something really potent might come, but it comes in such a gentle way. It comes in, I said to someone yesterday, this is a regular dreamer and very busy caretaker of everybody. And all the dream showed her was um, a pile of dirty dishes that wasn't hers. She didn't make the mess, but <laughs> as we know, she, it's up to her to clean it. Uh -huh. so, so she she understandably wanted to make it about the world and the mess in the world and, and I and I and I had to bring her back and I and I said the dreams don't ask us to pick up the three hundred pound weights. This comes from meditation training. We don't have to go in and pick up the three hundred pound weight of fixing the world or the big thing. This dream is saying, can you pick up the ten pound weight and look at that pile of dirty dishes and turn and walk away? It's not your mess. And, and, oh my gosh, that was so hard. Mm. It was so hard, but you know, that all these ways we came to believe, but people expect it to be a good person. And so uh, we don't need great big saga dreams, which can be wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Back to the word mundane in a seemingly mundane dream. 
is a moment of I don't want I don't want to clean up other people's messes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a perfect example of that of a mundane dream in that it's, you know, it's small, it feels almost like it could have been just a waking life moment. There probably was a pile of dirty dishes in her recent memory, you know, there, yeah. there is in mine, you know, but that it's, um, that it has that vertical aspect mm -hmm. to it too. Yeah. Mm, wow. Well, thank you so much. See, I'm just gonna be sitting with the stories that you shared today for, for a while. And I haven't yet read your book, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure there's a lot more of this. I really hear, well, I imagine that I hear anyway, your meditation <laughs> practice and your deep, deep kindness Thanks. in the way that you talk about all of this. So I really appreciate you sharing. If anyone wants to find your book and find you online, connect with you or work with you, what's the best place for them to do that? The best place, and thank you for asking that, the best place would be my website, www.maryjohyen.com, all lowercase, M-A-R-Y-J-O-H-E-Y-E-N. There you can get in touch with me, and I would love to hear any follow-up from folks if they have questions, if they want to explore a dream. I would also give the um, website of the group I'm a part of, uh, of Natural Dream Work, thenaturaldream.com, all lowercase, the natural dream. And there you can read more background about natural dream work. And there's also an about us page. So if folks might want to explore a dream, take a look at, uh, at that. We've got a, a, a wonderful group of practitioners and practitioners in training. And I would say, I love to always kind of close Leilani with you know, I'll, I'll paraphrase the Buddha. Um, basically, he said about meditation, don't take my word for it. Try it yourself. Experience yeah. it for yourself. And so I would say, I think you and I would both say the same to, to folks. Don't take our, don't take Leilani's word or don't take Mary Jo's word about the, the potency and the importance of our dreams. Try, try it. Explore a dream with someone and see for yourself. Have your own experience. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. That's right. It's, it's there for each of us to engage with and see what happens. Well, thank you. Thank you for all of that. And I will link to both those sites in the show notes so everyone can find you easily. Thank you. I, as you can hear, I, I, and I hear it in your voice as well, this great love of this most important part of who we are as beings. And that's our dream, our dream life. Thank you for listening all the way to the end here. If you want to visit Mary Jo's website or the Natural DreamWorks site, you can find the direct links on the show notes for this episode at thedreamersden.org slash 24. That's thedreamersden.org slash 24. If you're thinking about joining the Dreamers Den membership community, you can find everything you need also at thedreamersden.org. I'll be back on the full moon. Until then. Wishing you deep dreams.